Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is part of our special, I don't know if it's a series, I don't know if it's a new show. We're sort of figuring it out as we go along. But we did one of these last week and it was a very big hit with uh, the listeners and we had a lot of comments. So we're going to keep it going and, and pick it right back up. This is our Diary of a Pro Player series, we'll call it for now, with the man I'm about to introduce coming to us from Lexington, Kentucky. He is Sean Borman. Sean, how are things? Doing good, man. How are you? I'm feeling better. My face is no longer uh, pulverized, so that's good. I've been able to go out in public without people commenting about, you know, you should see the other guy and all this stuff. So, so I'm feeling good about that and very productive, uh, very productive week so far. But really looking forward to this chat. And on the fly, as we come up with an emerging format, we had so many questions come in over the transom. I had a few that I was gonna that I was gonna hit you with, and the first one has to do with a story that you told last week about um, this. I think it was a twenty-three to one key horse you had that ended up running second, and 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 you ended up missing the exact and. And somebody said, you know, Sean's such a smart guy. And that was a great story. But, you know, why didn't he just bet to place? And my quick answer, and I said I would check in with you, but I'm of the belief that in Hong Kong, when you bet place, I be- it's like betting show in the U.S., similar to how things are in, in, uh, in the U.K. and Ireland, where show or place rather is top three, not top two. And I was guessing that just took your dividend down way too low for that to be the appropriate saver. But am I right in that? And uh, do you have any recollection of what the horse did actually pay to place? Um, yeah, you're, you're partially right. You know, a, a lot of it is just sort of betting personality. Um, I'm, you know, especially with that horse, I, I really liked that horse and I really thought he was going to win. So I'm not, you know, I'm not going to take four or five to one to place um, when I'm getting 23 to one to win. And I think that's more likely now, you know, in hindsight, I guess uh, that's, you know, five to one on that horse to place probably was a pretty damn good price. And I, you know. Also, as part of that story, I, I mentioned a few times how stupidly I'm betting lately. So, you know, that was probably part of it, too, is just I didn't, you know, place is not something I do almost ever. So that's not sort of at the, the front of my thoughts when, when I'm playing a race. Um, Even if it was in the U.S., a, it, top two, it's still not something that comes to you very naturally, it sounds like. Exactly, because I'm always just going to look to – you know, I'll say, well, yeah, I can get this horse at five to one to place, but I can get forty to one on these exact accommodations, and I'm gonna, I'm just gonna play the exactas, um, or I can create a, you know, scenario in the exactas or the quinellas to where I can get that five to one using certain horses, but then if it comes a hundred percent right, I can get twenty or thirty to one. You know, just using, I'm so used to using the exotic pools as, as ways to create more value than the actual toad odds are, are giving you that that's just the way my mind goes and, and how I bet. Um, but let's see, I, th- I can probably pretty quickly find what that horse paid to place. I think one um, thing I'll point out while you look for that also is the, this is a strategy that in the vast majority of your, your betting career that added complexity has added value. And, and maybe it's a symptom 
as much as anything of, of the way that things haven't been clicking for you in the wagering construction department that we're even having this conversation, right? You know, you, you never, if you had included that other horse that you mentioned was a logical horse that you kind of whiffed on and you, you'd hit that exacta, we wouldn't be talking about this. You know what I mean? And for, for you know, more, a good portion of your career, that's the way it's gone for you. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, Let me know. You, you know, place and the place and show pool has just never been something I've participated in all that much. Um, would you be? Would the penny breakage make it more interesting to you now? Is is it enough of a? Is it enough of a difference that de facto takeout reduction when you get back into betting a race like the Kentucky Derby, for instance, this year? Would you Would you think about it more? Probably not. To be completely honest, I, I just don't. I just don't even think about it usually. I mean, it's 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 possible, but I, I'm, um, that horse ended up going off at four point three to one, four point three to one to place. Okay, um, yeah, and that is, is you know, that is basically our show. Correct. Yeah, first, second, or third, you cash that ticket. Yeah. We had a couple of questions on the bankroll side, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of combine them um, a little bit. One was about the the, and this might be more of the way you answered this this question when I talked. We talked about this last week. Maybe this is more of a Mike Maloney question than a Sean Borman question, but it had to do with your what is the relationship, if any, between the daily limit you're playing with and your overall bankroll is there anything like on a percentage basis that you try to do or again is that and i think when we talked about this last week i got the sense it was more you do that more by feel than with any mathematical formula like the kelly criterion or anything like that yeah it's it's a lot more by feel but like for example you know right now um you know i I think we talked about this last week right i've decided to just sort of make one or two bets a day um, and have just a very low, very low limit um, for the entire day, just, just because things have been going so bad. And I really, you know, feel the need to, to stop this as soon as possible. Um, So like right now, I would say I'm probably betting for my daily limit. I'm probably, it's probably, 1% 1% of my bankroll, if not lower than that right now. And that's extremely cautious. Um, I would say during normal times, it could be as high as 10% of my overall bankroll. That's, maybe, that's maybe, maybe even higher. Um, when, I, when I'm very confident. So it really just depends on the overall situation and, and, and how things are going. The other bankroll question I thought was interesting because um, it was just sort of a different way of looking at the world. You told the funny, the funny story about the the pick three boy who doesn't want to play unless he can win a million. But uh, the idea came up. Do you ever set out at the beginning of a day at the beginning of a meet and, and do look at it in terms of how much you're trying to win as opposed, as opposed to how much, uh, you're, you're willing to risk in the form of a, of, of a limit. You ever set a goal like that? I will sometimes when, you know, when, I, when there's a race that I really like, um, and I think that there's a, a, a really good opportunity. So for example, that the horse we talked about earlier, the, the place bet horse. Um, we know, need to know this horse's name. 
some point. We've got a, we his, his name. His name is Tuchel. T U C H E L. Tuchel. Um, and he's going to run again. I think. Um, when is it? I think maybe this weekend, actually, in the in the next leg of their four year old series. Um, but you know, for that race, you know, I looked at that race and and said, you know, this is a this is a race where you know I've got a really strong opinion on a horse that is you know currently when I was looking at him, he was eighteen or twenty to one, you know. 18 hours out, say. Um, and so I just, you know, I said to myself, like, this is a, this is an incredible opportunity where I can take, you know, a, a relatively small percentage of my bankroll, like three or 4% of my bankroll and, and try to make an entire year. Um, I didn't necessarily say, you know, I'm going to try to make X amount of money but it, you know, in my head, it, you know, I, that, that was a spot where I, I legitimately thought I could cash for fifty, hundred thousand dollars if I played that race right. right. So, like, there are times when I think in that in that way. Um, it's not a daily thing. I don't sit down and say, you know, today, based on my opinions, I think I can win X amount of money, and this is how I get there. I do think that's sort of an interesting concept um, to sort of treat your daily it's like betting. a tournament like a contest exactly um but you know i think there could be a downside to that too like you, you know if you if you get in your in your head that you know this is just sort of an average day and i don't i, I don't have a super strong opinion uh, you know i think i can make a couple thousand bucks and you you might just inadvertently bet in a way that makes you a couple thousand bucks when you could have made 10 times that if you bet a little more aggressively and a little differently. It's, it's, I always like to think, you know, opportunities show up a lot of times when you least expect them to. Um, you know, some of my better scores have been on days where I didn't think I had a great opinion. And then all of a sudden, a, you know, a horse that looked okay pops up there and is 20 to one instead of what you thought it would be. And it's a, it's a great opportunity. So I don't like to, necessarily plan things out too much but there are there are certainly times where i look at a race and say this you know this race or this sequence is an incredible opportunity and i think i could make x amount if i play it right yeah i do feel like there is something to the idea that the the bankroll the, the sort of bankroll theories that you learned um and that mike talks about extensively in the book made all the sense in the world in in an era where bias was a major player because when you were on to something they they allow you to get as aggressive as you want to be while limiting your downside but maybe in a world where um that's not as much of a primary factor that more tournament like mindset makes a little bit more sense that than uh than than it would have done back then when you wanted to allow yourself to be super aggressive and take advantage of something like a bias that could crop up and make your whole year. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I mean, things are certainly significantly different now than they were, you know, 10, 15 years ago, hell, even five years ago. Um, but, you know, like Mike has always said about bias, you know, if you're going to bet bias, you've got to you know, stay on your toes or, or whatever his saying is, you know, I think that's just in general, if you're going to bet the horses, you, 
you better, you know, learn to think objectively, stay on your toes, you know, take advantage of the opportunities when they come, especially if you're a simulcast player, because you, you know, uh, it's just not possible to always know when the opportunity is going to come. Like sometimes shit just pops up. Um, sometimes something you think is going to be a great opportunity turns out to be a terrible opportunity. You just, you've got to be flexible and you've got to be, you know, in a way you've got to be extremely disciplined, but you've also got to be a little undisciplined and, and not too rigid in your approach to things. That's, I think that's a key point. The idea of it. it's just not when people are learning too, especially any activity you want, you kind of want, at least my brain, I want rules. You know, I want, I do, do X, Y, and Z. It's not an activity that lends itself to do X, Y, and Z. It's, it's, you're, you're sort of dealing uh, fourth dimensionally as it were, when it comes to, when it, when it comes to a lot of this stuff, I think, but let's get you, let's get into your week, Sean, you had mentioned that you were uh, taking last, uh, you know, we recorded, I think Monday, you took Tuesday, Wednesday, and you went over, um, you, you went over, you, you got some, some trips and some numbers caught up, and then you were hoping to find an opportunity or two on the, on the Wednesday card, um, over in Hong Kong. What did you, when you looked through those PPs, what did you see? What kind of a course of action did you, did you put forth? Well, this is actually a pretty good example of, of what I was just talking about. Cause I went into Wednesday completely blind. I hadn't looked at anything, um, by design. I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know, mentally exhaust myself studying a card that I knew I wasn't going to bet much on. So I just, you know, I just went race by race. I forced myself to get up early and, and do the work and trip the races. But I was just, you know, sort of searching for opportunities as they came. And one came in like the, I believe it was the fifth race. Um, there was a horse that I was a little interested in and he was 32 to one on the board. Um, the favorite looked solid, but didn't look like a world beater was drawn. The was drawn right on the rail though. So he, you know, was almost guaranteed to get a perfect trip. Um, and so I texted our mutual friend, Matt Vagvolgi, who, you know, I've gotten to know quite well in the last few months and, and we've been sort of collaborating on some Hong Kong stuff. He's gotten interested in their product and I knew he was up looking. So I texted him and, and said, what do you think about this race coming up? And he said, you know, I, you know, favorite looks solid, but I don't think he guaranteed winner. I, you know, I, I like the seven horse. Um, and I think the, you know, I think an interesting bomb is the eleven. And that's exactly the horse I like. And I was like, well, that's really interesting. We're sort of on the same horse. Um, so we talked back and, you know, we texted back and forth about the race just a little bit. And um, both end up betting the race. Um, I made a, you know, like I said, I'm betting very small. So I made a really concentrated exact play um, with the favorite and the horse that, the other horse that he mentioned um, who I also had some positive things on and maybe one other horse. I think I may have used three other horses with this, this bomb horse. He ended up going off at like 43 to one. Um, so I made some exacta plays, played him in a try in all slots, but pressed him in third. Um, and 
they run the race, the favorite gets a perfect trip, um, but isn't any good, runs like a bad fourth. The other horse that Matt had mentioned wins it, pays six or seven to one. Um, the bomb runs third, right where he needed to at 42 or 43 to one. And then a, you know, random like 24 to one shot run second that I didn't use. So I, I ended up getting nothing. Um, the, my biggest frustration, I, I, you know, I've thought about that race a lot. Um, and I texted you immediately after the race and said, we have to talk about this because it's a, it's a great example of how your betting strategy and the way you approach betting a race means so much more than handicapping because um, we basically keyed the same two horses and Matt crushed the race. Um, now he bet more than I did into it, but he, he had a day, man, like he really scored. Um, and did I got all in the middle or like what, what was the biggest difference? No, I, I, well, he just used the horse, you know, he, he used that horse in second and I didn't. Um, and he liked, he was more positive on the winner than I was. I thought the winner was a contender, but not a, oh, I really like this horse. And I think he really liked that horse. So he, you know, it came basically exactly the way he wanted it to come. Yeah. Like you a know. double key basically. Yes. Um, and you know, the, the thing that probably has bugged me the most is, you know, during the course of our texting back and forth, you know, he, he mentioned the two horses and, you know, I said back to him, you know, you can get 33 to one on the Omni on those two horses. So basically 33 to one, just to get those two horses in the top three in any order. Right. Um, now the exactors and the Quinellas were paying huge. I mean, they were paying 150 to one, maybe. Um, so I verbalized that bet to him <laughs> and didn't fucking make it myself. And so at the level that I bet that race, you know, if I just play a small Omni, yeah, I'm not going to crush the race, but it would have at least, you know, I probably would have made even just a tiny one. I'm probably going to make five or six times the amount I bet and had a lot more positive vibes coming out of that day than, than, you know, another week of sitting here thinking, well, God, Sean, you really botched another great opportunity. Um, so that, you know, it, it, it was very similar to the, to the days when Mike and I worked together and we could, you know, basically have the exact same information. We shared a database. We talked over the races, bet the exact same horses and had vastly different outcomes almost all the time. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, it is, it is amazing. I mean, that, that more than anything else speaks to the, the importance of betting and speaks to the idea of, you know, against that that sort of thing you hear sometimes of, well, if you, if you like these horses, why would you talk about them on a podcast? Well, because a lot of times it's more complicated than that. It's not a it's not a fixed odds world where you're giving away your uh, where you're giving away the, the you're losing the prices. It's 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 much more complicated than that. G give us go granular on this bet because it does sound like such a good example. What um, you know, I mean, it, unless it's just as simple as you didn't like that horse enough, but like what. 
How did you construct it? How, if you could advise yourself with the benefit of hindsight, how would you have constructed it? You know, I've thought a lot about this and I, the, the horse that ran second that split me out of my bets, um, he had, he had okay form, not great form. You know, I guess he had, you know, he had been against the track the last time he ran, um, you know, but also like we talked about last week, like, you know, his figures had fallen off so much and I put so much more emphasis on the figure patterns and the actual figures than any kind of bias that I just sort of looked at the horse and said, yeah, I know he was against it, but he ran so bad. I'm not sure he's, he's worth using. Um, so I just, I made a conscious decision to throw the horse out. I, the, the mistake I made was probably being a little too cautious. Um, you know, I probably should have, instead of, instead of betting, you know, half a percent of my bankroll, I probably should have been a full percent, just bet the whole daily limit in that race because it was such a good opportunity um, and use that horse instead of trying to get real fine. I mean, I, you know, I tried to get, I tried to get too fine um, and, and turn $300 into, you know, 30,000, I, I probably should have bet 500 and, and still tried to make 10 or 15,000, honestly. Um, but you know, I didn't, I didn't love the horse that ran second. I didn't even really like him. Um, so I think the biggest mistake I made was not making the Omni bet, honestly, because, you know, you think about the, you know, I think it did pay 33 or 34 to one. Um, that was probably the biggest mistake. And that is a bet that, you know, we talk, we're talking about wagering personalities. It's different. It's different than the, the, the place wager that you don't regret passing simply because it's just better risk, risk and reward. I'm guessing. I mean, is it, is, is that bet in your repertoire normally? Only I've only made it when it's like a really outsized payoff, like a real asymmetric payoff like that. Um, and you can, you know, I'll make that bet sometimes when, when I don't like the favorite and I think I can take like the best speed horse at a price and the best finisher at a price. And I know they're both going to get a decent trip and you know, it's paying 50 to one or something, 30 to one. I'll make that bet then, but just, you know, on a typical, typical race where, you know, the logical Omnis are paying six to one or seven to one or 10 to one. Those races are just too difficult to get two horses in the top three enough at, at those odds for me to make that bet. So it's, end- it's not, it's not something I do often, but it, it is something I'll do. This would have been a good situation for it too, because it's, pro- I'm guessing, because it's a bet that goes, you weren't, you, you were trying to be fine. You were trying to keep it to that, you know, half a percent of your bankroll. And it's just that bet, that bet covers a lot of ground for you when you're not mm-hmm. looking to include too many extra horses, you know, that, that, that that's, that's logical to me that in the exact circumstance you were talking about, it would, it would make sense to do. 
when when the, that day is over, you said you had another bet, but you don't. There wasn't much to talk about it, right? On on Wednesday. Yeah, I think I just made a win bet. The horse didn't run any good. Gotcha. Is there any part of where are you in your frustration levels? Are you able to, at the end of a day like that, say, "Hey, I've made this decision to ply my trade in a place where opportunities like this exist, and they're not all that rare, rare, and you feel buoyed that you've made the right, you know, general life choice." Or is it just too frustrating to look at it that way? You know, it's funny. Up until up until our conversation last week, I was pretty down. Um, but just talking with you and, and hearing some of the feedback we got, I actually, I actually picked my head up a little bit. Um, That's great. So after Wednesday, you know, I was... I was a little more positive even going into Wednesday. Like I, I woke up Wednesday morning excited to go to the office and, and work, even though I knew I wasn't going to be betting much, which was sort of rare of late. And then even after that race, it's just, you know, I messed it up and that could have been that, you know, that probably should have been the race that, that turned everything around for me. But then when you logically think about it, you know, that's, you know, just in the last two, three weeks, that's two huge opportunities. There was another one before that, very similar to this one on Wednesday, like three or four weeks ago, where I keyed a 30 to one shot that ran second and I messed it up. It's like those opportunities are, there's plenty of opportunity. And I know that I've just got to, you know, work on my craft a little bit and get my betting back to where it needs to be. And then you know, in a very short amount of time, this won't be a problem anymore. Yeah, that's. I think um, that's the exact right attitude. I, I feel like you're fishing in the right pond, and you just, you know, just uh, they've been slipping off the line. But if you're in the right pond, it it'll, it comes around. Yeah. One thing that surprised me was that you uh, you you bet some USA last week. You you had texted me and told me what uh, what drew you in. Um, you know, honestly, it was a. Uh, a listener um, that reached out to me after that um, episode that I did with Marshall dropped a few months back. Yes. And he and I have, he and I have started sort of talking a little bit and you know, he texted me and said, you know, I'm going to play this aqueduct thing. I know you probably won't, but if I send you my sort of ideas and my play, will you just take a look at it and give me some feedback? And I said, yeah, sure. Absolutely. And then, you know, I'll even, I'll even handicap the damn thing and, you know, so I've at least given you an honest assessment, not just bullshit. Um, so I looked at the sequence and just, you know, decided I, I didn't like the sequence much. Um, it felt like one where you needed a real separator to, to make it worthwhile, to make it worth playing. And I found one. Um, so I just played it. I played a ticket where I basically singled the longest shot in the second leg um, and said, if I'm right, you know, I can score. If I'm, I'm probably going to be wrong, I'm not going to bet much. Um, but that's just the way that that sequence sort of laid out to me. It just looked, it looked like it could be one where if you don't get that separator, it's going to pay 180 bucks. And it's not, you know, it's just, it was too hard to sit there and get two two heavy favorites and three second choices and get vastly underpaid. So um, I did which play it. Was, 
It was the it was Aqueduct on Friday, and it was the uh, was there a carryover? Yeah, it was the early pick five. They had that big carryover. Right. It was like two hundred eighty thousand dollar pick five carryover. I think. I probably should have so known that. There was a <laughs> there was a million something in the pool. I think, um, but it just wasn't. You know, it just wasn't a very good sequence, and it and it very quickly. You know, I was looking through the races, and it it was just you know very very quickly reminded me you know how shitty the product is right now and and all the just crap we have to put up with as as horse players i mean there was a there was a fucking you know horse that had a medication overage you you know one is maiden by like five i actually think it was a 10 strike horse i think it was one of marshall's horses um had won like a maiden 25 by five in a pretty fast time. It had a medication over it. So he's back in against maidens again. And I think they bumped him up to either a higher tag or even a state bred special weight. So it's just like, you know, what exactly would I do with this damn horse? There was a voided claim horse that was coming back after an impressive win, who I think ended up scratching, but still like, it's just all the, all the stuff that, that, you know, is wrong with this game and all the, you know, bullshit we have to put up with. Um, and of course you get the separator in the sequence, but it's a, it's a horse shipping in from parks off a of six or eight week layoff with two slow work showing, um, completely turns his form around, makes the lead wins, pays $32. And it's just like, yeah, okay. That was that um, Irish, that Irish exit horse who was kind of hard to Irish make. Exit. Kind of hard to make getting the lead and, and improving the figure by almost almost 30, uh, 30 points. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was slop. It was a weird. There were weird things about the yeah, day. You know, they 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 clearly did some vet work that isn't disclosed. It's just one of the. It's just one of the things, you know. But it's also like when there's another alternative. Why put up with that anymore? And and and. You know, Manning, the, the guy who had asked me to look at his play, he texted me afterwards and said, you know, just out of curiosity, how would that horse have been handled in Hong Kong? Like, would he have come in off eight weeks and two slow works and weird? And I was just like, no, it's completely different. Like, you would have had a comprehensive report about why he ran so poorly last time, what he's done since, if they did any vet work, if he bled, blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, I played. That was probably my my one uh, U.S. based bet for the next few months. I imagine. Oh, we're gonna get you. We're gonna drag you into these triple crown preps. I know it. Was it? Oh yeah, that'll that'll be so fun with all these Bafferts now changing trainers <laughs> and shipping East to run and then going back to him and now he's you know yeah that'll be awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> Was it? Uh, was there anything in the handicapping side of the horse that you ended up signaling? Was it Prairie Fire in the in the second? It was, and I, you know, I was looking. I don't have any of my info caught up, so I was looking at the Briz stuff, and it was just one of those. Um, you know, he had competitive, relatively competitive figures, um, and was going to be a big price. And I, you know, I thought the field was terrible. Um, so I just said, you know, this is a field where I'm going to have to go four or five deep and catch a horse that I don't 
you know, isn't going to be much of a price and I don't particularly like anyway, or I could just single this horse and know if I hit it, if I'm right, that I'm going to get paid. So I just chose to do that. Um, did your, did your buddy have any more luck? No, he got, uh, he got a live, I think Irish exit knocked him out. Yeah, that's, that was a, that was, that's a tricky one. That figure really does, yeah. you know, stand out. How did, how did, how did the, what, what you said it improved by 30 points. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the horse had seven back ran a 79 buyer, but improved to an 82, um, a tricky one, a tricky one to come up with. And then for your trouble, if you did hit the thing, you got, let's see here, almost just, just under, just under two grand, which I suppose is, yeah. You know, sounds all right for for one tricky horse and, and a bunch of logical ones, but doesn't sound like uh, yeah, it doesn't sound like you'll be it left you hungering to play any uh, U.S. based carryovers. What did you end up doing on on Saturday? What was your what was your mindset going in, and, and how did the night go? Um, so Saturday, Saturday was actually a really nice day for me. We uh, my nine year old had an early basketball game, which they won, and then we nice. were able to take both her and her sister down to Rupp Arena for their very first Kentucky basketball game live. Very um, fun. Had a, had a great time. Um, and then we were was fortunate enough to be able to drop them off at my in-laws and go on an actual adult date. So oh, beautiful. I spent, I spent zero time handicapping and just, you know, had a nice little day. Um, when we got home, I looked at the races and found, found a race that I liked. So I, I slept for a few hours and got up. Um, made one bet. No, I'm sorry, I made two bets again. It was very similar to Wednesday, actually. It was a race I really liked, um, and I just missed it. I, you know, I didn't miss bet it. I just didn't, you know, I played some tries and missed them. And then there was a horse that later in the card that, you know, had run competitive figure with a pretty bad trip last time um, that they were letting go off the thing. 30 or 40 to one. So I made a small win bet on him and just went back to sleep and woke up to see that he didn't run a step. Um, we went off at 62 to one. So not the worst bet I've ever made. No, no. but, um, yeah, just, that's, you know, that'll happen now, right? When you, when you have horses at those kind of prices, it's not, you're not making bets knowing the horse has to fire the way you would. I mean, is that, is that about right? Like, if you are betting a horse at the lower end of the odd spectrum, let's say six to one, and it doesn't run at all, you usually that'll that'll like get me like questioning things a little bit, or at least wanting to go back and look. But when the sixty-two to one shot doesn't run, it's just like okay, I just had a little angle and it wasn't right. It's the easiest thing in the world to move on. I mean, how how different are your expectations in those two situations? Um, you know, it just it, it really just depends on how much you like like the 60 to one shot. I mean, this was just a pure, I'm going to take a shot because I think this is an overlay. Like the horse had run fairly competitive with a bad trip last time. Um, And, you know, he had only run twice in Hong Kong. So if he was, you know, fresh and, and improving still, he had a shot. So I made a real small win bet. And, you know, I woke up and watched the race and he got another bad trip. You know, he was the widest horse again. This time he had no cover. So he was, you know, doing all the hard work in the race. And they spun into the lane and he just flattened out and, you know, maybe 
ran eighth or something. Um, so, like, when I saw the replay, I was like, you know, uh, I'm not going to jump in line to bet this horse again, but I might give it another shot because, he, hell, he may be over 100 for one next time. Right. Um, and he's shown enough ability in the right spot. If he draws inside and, and catches a slightly weaker field, you know, he's he's completely live. So, you know, it really just depends on on how much you like the horse. Right, that's fair. That's a good answer. Because over there, like you can, you can really like a horse, and it'll be forty to one occasionally. And then you, you know, if you really like it and it runs terrible, you want to know why. Well, sometimes just they're taking a shot, and it's you know, oh well, I don't really care why. You have avenues to explore the why a lot more there, as you've pointed out. And yeah, as I think about it again, I guess what I really mean is a horse that I imagine is going to be a certain, if I imagine the horse, if I'm taking a flyer on a horse that even I think should be a long shot, it's different than taking a shot on one that I think should be, you know, among the choices. You said something I wanted to pick up on about cover, because that's something that's so important internationally. And it's important, I think, in USA racing too, but like nobody ever talks about cover and and what that means. Is it something, we'll start by asking you to define it. And then I want to ask you, a little bit about how and when it became part of your, your handicapping process. Well, you know, I don't even know if this is the actual correct definition, but when I say a horse has no cover, I mean, it doesn't have another horse in front of it. So it's catching all the wind. It's sort of, you know, horses are able to use that horse to draft behind. He's not able to draft behind another horse. Um, I don't know if that's, because sometimes they'll say a horse has no cover on you know on some analysis when there's a horse in front of it and i'm thinking oh, it's got you know decent cover um but that's what i mean is like this horse was sitting three wide he was the first horse in the three wide line basically um and had you know nobody in front of him so that's what i mean when i say no cover what does it matter? Uh, I don't know. Um, but there's a few things at play about, here. There's, there's a few things at play. There's the idea of not being able to draft, but of course a front runner isn't drafting and we know they win. That's, that's what I was going to say. What's the best trip in racing on the lead, right? But there also, there's a combination of things of, you know, with losing ground, but you know, you'll, you'll see on a straightaway, now, this is interesting. I'm sort of thinking this through as we talk about it here. On a straightaway course, a bad, a really bad ride could be with no cover, but that's going to be into a headwind, which becomes much more of a thing on a straight course than on an oval. So that three wide trip you're describing, regardless of whether or not it's it's the drafting matters, which I think you could argue it might have something to do with the wind. It's a bad trip in that you're going around a tight left-handed oval and you're losing and you're losing ground on the turf, which generally speaking is not what you want to do. Exactly. And that's, that's the next point I was going to make. So I've started putting in my trip notes, I've sort of put in widest, you know, I want to know who's the widest horse on the track in each sort of little section, you know, like you can be, there could be multiple widest horses in a race. Um, you know, if there's four horses on the three wide line and that's the widest line, then all four of those I would designate as widest. Now, 
the leading horse of that pack I would designate as widest no cover. The other ones I would say widest with cover mm-hmm. if they spend most of the time with another horse sort of in front of them. Um, the widest part has been far more predictive of a better performance than the cover or no cover part. Interesting. I still I still give a little extra credit to the widest no covers. Um, but it's just a concept that I have trouble wrapping my head around just because of, you know, one of the things you said, like if you're on the lead, you don't have any cover and that's a great trip and everybody thinks it's a great trip. You know, in this country, you know, guys are a lot more apt to want to be three wide speed and be the no cover nowadays than they are to tuck in and sit behind those horses. Well, are so you bias comes into dirt? play some. Yeah. And are you talking dirt? I mean, I've been to this point in the conversation. I feel like I've, I've been folk. Every comment I've made is specifically about turf. Whereas dirt, I think it's a different, I think it's a different animal because if you have that three wide forward trip that wins all the time now, I do think is not so much a product of bias so much as the way that just racetracks are generally maintained, which is related to bias. But I think you know what I'm saying, right? Right. And it may be, you know, on dirt, you probably get more kickback and they, they may not like that. So no cover may be a better thing. I, you know, I don't know. It's just a hard, it's just a hard concept for me to say is absolutely meaningful. I know ground loss is meaningful. Um, yeah, 15 years I, ago, were, I, you, were you aware of this cover stuff or were you just looking at it in terms of noting, you know, how wide a horse was in your trip notes? Just how wide it was. Yeah. I mean, I, well, and I didn't even, you know, I never factored cover in other than just knowing that saving ground is, is better than being wide. And when you save ground, most of the time, you're going to have some cover. Um, but I never once said the word cover or thought about the word cover or the concept of cover until I started watching Hong Kong. Um, yeah, when they, they talk about it, when they do that, explain for folks what the patrol replay is for those that don't know. So patrol replay is the, is the head on. So they will show you the, they'll, they'll show you the race live, you know, the pan shot live. And then, you know, seconds after they cross the finish line, they will show you that again, almost immediately. It's almost too fast, honestly. Um, and then they'll show you the dividends and the payoffs and everything. And then they will come back and show you a full head on with analysis from the, you know, from the people um, for, for every race. And it's not just a it's, stretch drive recall. Like when I do sky, you know, we do the stretch drive again and yeah, I'm not, but this is granular. They're, they're talking about the trips. This, this is from the gate opening to the end of the race. They will, you know, they'll tell you who's being ridden cold out of the gate, who's going back to save ground. They'll tell you who's, you know, stuck wide all the way around there. They'll tell you if there's bumping, if there's a horse's rank. You know, they talk all the time about, you know, horses running with their mouth wide open. Um, You know, just stuff we don't really hear in this country Um, all that often. I mean, we hear it some, but not, not to the level that they do it over there. Um, it really is. I mean, if 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 nothing else, 
it's just a tremendous television product. Like if nobody wants to bet it, I completely understand. But like just to, you know, God, more more track execs in this country need to just turn their feed on and take some notes because they, they really have a much better television product than we do too. I think that could work here as a second screen kind of an experience um, to have a, a really gambling centric feed where you had, I mean, how much would I enjoy hearing, you know, a, 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 you and Richard Migliori talking through the head on in the seconds after the race. It'd be phenomenal. Well, I mean, it, it would be, but think of this, would it be better than the local auto dealers ad they have to run instead of showing the, the head on, on the simulcast feed? So I, I don't know, man. Some of those local it's a close, auto dealers. It's a, close, it's a close call between all the, you know, slot machine ads and, and, and car dealerships and all the shit they jam in there instead of showing an actual head on with no analysis. I mean, let's just start there. If we can get every track to show just a head on and maybe show accurate splits, you know, <laughs> some accurate sectionals before we jump into more complicated stuff like, you know, good analysis of the head on. I wish you'd been doing more um, Gulfstream figures. I'm going to ask you a question I know you don't know the answer to because you haven't been doing the figures. I'm just curious if uh, if the new timing uh, hybrid system is as advertised. I'm sure Craig Mulkowski will have an opinion. I'll reach out. Uh, I'll reach out to him on that one. Oh, I had a follow up from before that I made a note on and then forgot to come back to for you. You mentioned about having an idea of the prices. 18 hours out. How the heck does that work? How accurate are those early prices? Um, just explain to folks how the betting works. Well, they open the pools 24 hours out, basically. So like right now, we can go on here to the Hong Kong site, click on current odds for tomorrow's card, and get a relatively good look at who's going to be the favorite, you know, how they're betting horses. No, you know, how much obviously is more with how much is bet. Let's see. Yeah. Let's see for race one tomorrow morning. I guess it's more important how predictive it is than the specifics, but because the pool is yeah. in the uh, I, it, it sounds like so, it's a useful tool or you wouldn't be talking about it. So there is 156,000. 558 US dollars in the wind pool right now okay. for race one. Yeah. And there's about 750,000 bet total in that race already. That's amazing. Um, so, you know, you can get a pretty good, pretty good idea of who's going to be bet, how they're going to be bet. Now, this stuff certainly changes as more liquidity comes into the market. But it doesn't change all that much. I mean, it's, it's, you know, especially in terms of like, I like this horse. Is it going to be a big price or is it not going to be a big price? Like you can get a feel for that, you know, the day before um, pretty easily. And it's, you know, it's great, especially for those shot 10 cards. If you don't want to stay up all night, like a lunatic, <laughs> you know, you can, you know, if you just want to stay up till 10 p.m., just a few hours before first post, there's plenty of liquidity in there. You can see what your tries are going to pay. You can, you know, you can look at the exact board. You can, it, it's, you know, so you can, you can, they a, will, you can look up have a, a game plan. Try. You can look up a specific try combination. I didn't realize that. 
No, they don't. They give you in the trifecta pool. They they will give you the the top twenty shortest combinations. So the oh. top twenty most bet combinations overall, and then they give you the top ten for each horse on top. Oh. So they'll list you know the the most bet combinations with the one horse winning, with the two horse winning, and then they will also give you the amount bet on each horse in each position so you can get you know if you like a horse that is a is a 40 to one shot say they're not going to be on those top 20 or top 10 lists no which is helpful in itself because you can look at the you know if you let's say you love the favorite but you like a 40 to one shot to run with it you know you can see okay well the shortest one or the longest one in this top 10 is paying 150 to one. So I know I'm getting at least that. Yeah. And that's then great. you could sort of look at the investment um, section and say, okay, well, this horse only has X percent of the amount of the money bet on him to run second and, and third or to win. So you can get a feel for what you're going to get back much more than, than not having anything. Oh, sure. Um, Between that and the exact is you could probably extrapolate all kinds of meaningful information. Exactly. Exactly. And then they've got the trio, which is like the tri-box, like the quinella for trifectas, um, any order. And you can even use that information because the, in the trio pool, which is a different pool, they give you every combination of that. That's so, talk for another day, I think. I want to get into that, but I don't, I don't know if I want to go down that particular rabbit hole uh, right now about exactly how all that works. But my unsolicited advice to you would be as much as however much you've been leaning on this, lean on it even more when you have that opportunity to start your, it just feels like you could really start your process whenever you want it almost, because you're going to have an idea. So I don't know how it works for you, but you know, for me, I do my best thinking first thing in the morning after a night of sleep. So if you have an opportunity to like use that info and try to do something pretty close to decision-making, at least like plan framework making then, as opposed to doing that at the weird ass hours when this stuff runs and trying to do it on the fly, then there's a non-zero chance. Part of why it's been a little tricky for you is just brainwave stuff with like when you're trying to make these kind of decisions being completely different than when you did it for the last couple of decades. I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm making excuses for you, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if I'm right. No, I think that's, I think that is part of it. And I, and I you know, I know I told you privately, I don't know if I said this last week or not, but I, I've really struggled at times on those shot in cards with decision-making at three in the morning, two thirty in the morning. Um, you know, to the point where I'm starting to sort of, you know, track my sleep a little bit and see if, you know, on, on, on weeks where I'm not sleeping as well. And I have some data behind that, then do I make worse decisions in my weekend betting versus when I'm getting better sleep? I mean, um, it's a real concern. Yeah, it's interesting. But isn't do you agree with what I'm saying though that having that as a tool you could you could at least start the process when you're, you know, as fresh-brained as possible, especially with what you're doing right now, we're only looking to make a couple of bets. It, I guess it's different if you might be betting every race on a card, but even then, like just the idea of having a bit more of a framework of a plan, I just think there's got to be a way you can you can use that to your advantage. 
Yeah, no, there is. And I do that all the time. Like I typically, you know, typically right now on a Tuesday, I will have, I'll have looked through the card at least to some extent and, and look through the board and just sort of tried to pinpoint, you know, at a minimum, am I interested in betting this race or am I not based on what opinion do I have? Um, and then I do that, you know, Saturday afternoons for the, for the shot 10 card, I'll try to roll through it and just see like, where are the opportunities is the, you know, is the pick three playable today based on the way they're betting it early? Is it, you know, is it a six up kind of night? Um, you know, that, that huge near miss I had last year was basically solely due to, to the early, the early action on, you know, I was just sitting here on like Friday afternoon or whenever the hell it was Saturday, I guess. And, you know, I was interested in this horse. I looked up and he was 40 to one. I was like, well, this is, you know, this is a huge opportunity. Um, so yeah, I use that all the time. I, it, and it's, you know, to me, it's just a much better way to, to go about things. I'm sure in, in, with all the tracks we have in this country, it's probably impossible, but you know, I don't see why you couldn't open the pools earlier than 20 minutes to post. Yeah, I mean, getting, I mean, honestly, it's something else that fixed odds could provide a little bit of a window into just to give you an obviously fixed odds can be wildly off and, and, and change by give, giving you some idea. And obviously some of this stuff is already available. You know, you can look at the European fixed odds market on many, many tracks to just go to odds checker and, and get a sense at least for the big races. And then early on the day, you can look at basically the whole day. Some of them, they will hold off and be cheeky, but especially for bigger races, you'll be able to see those prices and it could give you a little of this, but those will, those are going to be, the Hong Kong ones are going to be way more accurate from everything you're describing. You will occasionally see those where they're just way off. Like uh, when I was able to tip, (laughs) these things count for your ROIs as a public handicapper when you, when you're doing it over there. Um, Oh my God! How am I spacing on this horse's name? Uh, the, the the Mike Maker horse that won the Pegasus Turf, who was briefly over oh, there, yeah. available. Is it atoned? Atoned. Yeah, that's it. Uh, uh, very good. Uh, Thirty-three to one for, for my official ROI tracking for the one book that um, we, we some of our some of our loyal readers were able to beat up. But anyway, that's just a that's just a silly aside. I I just think um yeah I I I think the the more you can lean into that particular benefit with all this you know, all the challenges you're facing, the better off you'll be. You mentioned about the sleep tracking. This is a strange tangent, but I'm actually just curious. What do you, what do you use? Do you have, um, and it's kind of funny because as I'm saying this to you, Sean, my Apple watch tells me it's time to stand up. I was going to ask if you're using, and if I sound a little distant, it's because I'm stretching my legs or do you use the Apple watch or do you use something else for the sleep tracking? I do. Right now I'm just using the Apple watch, but I'm, I'm thinking about getting one of those whoop bands. What is Um, that? uh, It's just a, you know, fitness wearable that is supposed to be pretty good, particularly with sleep stuff. Um, but it's, it doesn't have like a display screen. It's just a, it's just like a bracelet type thing. And then it, you like go on an app and you get the info. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, right. when you're doing this sort of semi nocturnal lifestyle, I, I, I don't know about the listeners, but I, I think it's, that's a very smart uh, idea to take a, to take a look into. We just got a couple minutes left, Sean. I want to ask you about uh, your 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 week, uh, your theoretical. Uh, we're, we're doing this so late because of the holiday. Uh, well, so late, one day late because of the holiday and in the afternoon. But uh, just curious to hear 
what your what your plan is uh, what your plan is going to look like and and you know just get a little bit of a preview or uh, for what we can expect to be talking about on next week's show. Uh, it's going to be pretty similar. Just uh, I'm going to get up tomorrow morning and just grind on that card and, and try to find one or two really good really good plays. Um, I was actually able to get all my you know stuff caught up from my various illnesses, so I don't I, I don't have a ton of trips or anything hanging over my head this week but just yeah just try to find one or two spots and just work this program until i cash a good ticket and and feel like you know i need to expose myself to more risk basically that's you know it's uh it's just sort of survive right now just survive in advance i like the sound of that but no, I mean, it sounds mentally you already do sound more positive. And if, you know, we are any small part in uh, in helping create that mindset shift, that's uh, that would make me very happy because we appreciate you coming on here. And again, I, I sent you only a fraction of the comments uh, we got. It's really been great. And I love the idea of starting off with a little mailbag segment. So if you do have questions that you want us to talk about on the show, probably the easiest thing is to just reach out to me on the contact page over at inthemoneypodcast.com. That comes straight to my email. Uh, you could also reach out on Twitter. You can find me at Looms Boldly. You doing much on Twitter these days? Should the people follow you? I, I don't tweet much, but certainly if anybody has any questions or anything, just uh, feel free to reach out on Twitter. I'll, I'll respond, um, if not immediately relatively soon but I, I you know i don't i don't tweet I, twitter's just a cesspool right now especially <laughs> raising twitter I have, I have no real desire to wade into that tweet but I, i'm perfectly willing to you know use the dm function to talk to people certainly and do, do you know your uh do you know your handle offhand uh, at, i got it at borman yeah. underscore sean is that it that's it, that's it. So yeah, it's uh, it's it, we, we would appreciate you uh, you reaching out, and uh, we're gonna do this. So we'll do this again next week, Sean. Really enjoyed chatting with you. Unless you had any closing thoughts, I think we'll uh, we'll leave it here until the next time. Um, no, no closing thoughts. I just I just look. Uh, they they've already bet three point six million US into that card tomorrow. That's so fourteen wild. hours from first post. So. When does it? When when is first post tomorrow? I believe it's it's been at five forty five recently, so I'm assuming it's still still five forty five. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, if anybody wants to get up early and follow along, we should really make them be paying us for all the plugs we're giving them. I'll I'll work on that. It's it's uh, it's been a long term project. <laughs> maybe one day. <laughs> but hey, it's part of your journey, so we're happy to uh, we're, we we have to we have to just talk about it honestly, which is great. Sean, thank you so much. We will talk to you again soon. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. All right, this has been a special presentation, special edition of the In the Money Players podcast, the Pro Player Diary of Sean Borman. We're going to have a small show tomorrow, Nick Tamro and I, looking back to some racing at the weekend. Later in the week, going to be covering Santa Anita, late pick five. We'll probably, I, I guarantee you, we'll be doing the coast to coast, hopefully with JK for for Saturday and Sunday, and so much more content as well between uh, Owner's Box and Matt Bernier and Spencer and uh, the whole crew. Uh, so check it out, in inthemoneypodcast.com, the place to go for more info. And if you want to keep up with everything going on, in inthemoneypodcast.com slash email is one that you want to be paying attention to. PTF for Sean Borman. May you win all your photos.